Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. Something truly remarkable in African history and global affairs occurred on June 26, when Eritrean leaders flew to the Ethiopian capital of Addis Ababa for peace talks. In the late 1990s, these two countries fought each other in a brutal war. And despite a ceasefire, they have remained actively hostile towards each other. But that now seems to be changing, and quickly. On the line with me to discuss this detente between two previously irreconcilable foes is Michael Waldner-Merriam, an assistant professor of international relations at the Party School of Global Studies at Boston University. We discuss the roots of the conflict between Eritrea and Ethiopia and why this easing of tensions appears to be happening at this moment in history. Part of the answer, as Michael Waldemarium explains, is that Ethiopia has a new prime minister who appears to be in a process of reforming and liberalizing the country. Eritrea, meanwhile, remains one of the most repressive and authoritarian countries on the planet. And Waldemarium explains how an easing of tensions between Ethiopia and Eritrea might affect politics in Eritrea. This is a very helpful and clarifying conversation about a hopeful development in global affairs, and I wanted to bring you some analysis about why that's happening and what its broader implications are. As always, you can get in touch with me via the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. I always love hearing from you guys. Let me know what you think of this episode, and let me know if you have any suggestions of other people I should interview or topics I should cover. And of course, as always, you can hit me up on Twitter at Mark L. Goldberg. And I should say, often on Twitter, before I do these interviews, I'll send out a tweet asking my listeners what you would like to learn about a forthcoming guest. So be sure to follow me on Twitter and let me know what kind of questions you want me to ask my guest. All right. Now, here is my conversation with Michael Waldermerium of Boston University. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. A high-level Eritrean delegation visited Addis Ababa and met with the Ethiopian Prime Minister and other senior Ethiopian officials. So the delegation included presidential advisor uh, Yamane Gabrab, of course Eritrea's foreign minister, Osman Saleh, so these were the sort of two uh, key figures in the Eritrean government. Uh, they, they essentially comprised the delegation. Uh, and it was significant, I think, because at an official level, Eritrea and Ethiopia have not had any sort of relations uh, since really, I would say, 
you know, 1998. They fought a, a border war in, in between 1998 and 2000. There was a, a peace agreement that came out of that uh, out of that war. Didn't really produce, uh, I guess, what I would say, durable peace. In part because, you know, the the, the peace agreement sent uh, the, the the border issue that was a cause of of the war uh, to arbitration. Ethiopia didn't like the decision, and so there was a there was sort of a long stalemate that came out of that. That, and, that peace agreement it was called the Algiers Agreement, and, and we'll talk. So, we'll, we'll get into that that agreement because I think it provides an important backdrop to to what happened this week. But but you're saying this was the highest level delegation from Eritrea to visit Ethiopia in something like twenty years. Yeah, basically. I mean, they haven't had diplomatic contact to speak of in nearly two decades, right? Um, so, you know, I think they, you know. They, they must have engaged diplomatically, um, you know, in the early 2000s as they tried to work on, uh, you know, sort of work on the Algiers Agreement and some of the peace process. But since that time, and since that, that, that peace agreement uh, sort of ground to a halt, uh, they haven't, there, there haven't been any discussions, right? There, have, there hasn't been any official diplomatic contact. And do we know, uh, like, so. what they were talking about? I mean, I, I know a lot of it is shrouded in, in a lot of secrecy. Yeah, actually, I think the, the, the actual agenda of the discussions is, is not entirely clear. Uh, and, and maybe that's, maybe that's intentional. Um, I mean, my suspicion actually is that, that this, this delegation, uh, is, is sort of at this point, um, it's more sort of a, a, it's more sort of public relations, right? I think behind and, the scenes. And they well were feted, right? The, and, and they were like feted when they arrived. There were dancers and, and some like so, Ethiopian celebrities think, greeted them. It was like a, a PR thing to like demonstrate a, the detente is real and it's happening. Absolutely. So I think the hard diplomatic work has probably already happened. There have probably already been backdoor discussions that have been going on for weeks, if not months. That's, that's my, I'm speculating here, but that's, 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 that's my feeling. Um, so I think I think this this delegation was more um, was more symbolic than anything else. Um, so I mean there are a number of issues obviously that the two sides have to talk about. I mean the border question, um, the implement of, of of which of implementation of the you know the Eritrean Ethiopian Boundary Commission decision is is really quite essential, and then sort of a broader normalization of relations. So there's a lot to talk about. I'm just not sure anything really happened in this meeting or in these discussions. So I know that the history between these two countries and is long and it's sorted, but I'm hoping you could sort of distill a little bit of the history of this conflict between Eritrea and Ethiopia, which I take it, you know, goes back to the sixties, if not earlier. Yeah. Well, um, and I sort of had begun to gesture at some of that in my comments earlier. I mean, it's a long a long and very difficult history between uh, the two countries. There are competing narratives on both sides about how everything unfolded. So just keep in mind, this is a very contested history. Um, but, uh, but in 1991, um, the, uh, the Ethiopian government at the time, it was a Marxist junta led by Mangusta Hailemariam, was toppled by a coalition of rebel groups. Um, and, uh, the two most significant uh, rebel groups uh, that were part of this coalition were called the, the TPLF, the Tigray People's Liberation Front, and the EPLF, the Eritrean People's Liberation Front. Uh, they decided um, or agreed uh, that Eritrea would embark on a process of self-determination that resulted in a referendum in 1993 in which Eritreans overwhelmingly voted for independence, uh, and that uh, the TPLF uh, would be essentially installed as 
the the government of of Ethiopia or what what remained of Ethiopia. Right now, the backstory here is that the Eritreans had fought a long uh, struggle uh, for uh, self determination. It lasted something like thirty years, so it was very long, very complicated. Right, so that's that's a historical backdrop. Uh, and- uh, Sorry, go yeah, ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, no, no. Go ahead. Cause I suspect you're probably going to bring us up to the conflict in, in the late 1990s. Exactly. Exactly. So, so essentially what happens, I mean, the 1990s were sort of a golden era in Eritrea-Ethiopia relations, in part because the governments of the government of independent Eritrea and of Ethiopia uh, were these sort of guerrillas, uh, you know, turned, you know, turned governments that, that had been allies in the preceding war against the Marxist junta. So they were they had a very close relationship um, that had been really, you know, that was really a product of this, of this long war. Uh, but things, I think, began to unravel in the mid-1990s. And again, it's a very contested history. Uh, I think one thing you have to understand is that, um, you know, Eritrea's uh, secession, um, like secessions in a lot of other places, raises cer- raise certain practical challenges. Um, it raised, obviously, the question of borders, um, it raised the question of economic relations between Ethiopia and newly independent Eritrea. And so these issues began to rear their ugly heads. And uh, the leaders of these two governments were not really able to resolve them. Uh, so that sort of leads to deteriorating relations. And then 1998 there, May 1998, there is a, again, this is contested history, but there is a, a clash in a, a, a border area called Badimme. Uh, that then triggers a full-scale war that um, that is one of the nastiest wars in post-colonial African history, interstate wars in post-colonial African history. Yeah, yeah this this war is was extremely deadly, and like the the it almost sort of resembled World War One in in tactics, like like gritty trench warfare that killed trench tens warfare, of thousands. Trench warfare, yeah. uh, you know, waves of you know human waves of soldiers. I mean, we think between. Again, it's you know we, we're not sure, but between seventy and one hundred twenty thousand people died. Um, this is actual battlefield fatalities. Um, one of the one of the worst wars of the nineteen nineties, we should say, of, of of all the conflicts in the nineteen nineties, this was up there in terms of interstate conflict. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So so that then you know the war sort of runs its course. Um, in May June two thousand, uh, the two sides. Uh, sign a peace agreement. I mean, the the war. We could talk about how things played out in the battlefield. Ethiopia made some breakthroughs um, in May, June, two thousand. Um, they made some breakthroughs, I think, in in, in February, March of nineteen ninety nine as well. Um, Eritrea's forces were still intact. It still retained uh, its defense capabilities, but uh, those breakthroughs, I think, then laid. Um, sort of laid the path for an eventual agreement. And, and the Clinton administration uh, helped broker this agreement, right? Specifically, the, the uh, yep. Anthony Lake, who at the time was the national security advisor, who later became the, the longtime head of UNICEF, uh, helped broker this, this peace agreement, right? The Algiers Accord. Yeah, absolutely. So the United States was heavily involved, uh, not, not, just, not just at the conclusion of the war, but even at the beginning in trying to broker, uh, you know, broker an agreement, right? So... From the from the, the the onset of the conflict in May nineteen May June nineteen ninety eight, the United States, you know, tried to push a peace deal that that didn't really get traction initially and upset a lot of the parties, particularly Eritreans. One could talk about that backstory, um, but but if you want to understand the genesis of the stalemate as it's evolved over the last twenty years, it really comes down to, you know, the the Algiers Agreement or the peace agreement that is 
you know, there's a ceasefire in May, I think June 2000, and then, you know, a final agreement that's signed, I think, in December of 2000. Um, and, you know, the, the, the crux of that agreement involved many different elements, but the crux of that agreement, and I'm sorry if I'm repeating myself because I think I said this earlier, is that uh, the, the question of the border, which was kind of the, you know, the trigger of the conflict, uh, and I guess it's proximate cause, was that the question of the border would be sent to arbitration, right? And, and it would be sent to a body that would arbitrate the border, figure out where it, where it actually laid, you know, whose territory was what. Um, and that decision would be final and binding on the parties, right? Um, they couldn't debate it or try and relitigate it. There was no appeal process here uh, for the most part. Um, so what ends up happening is that uh, the, the, the arbitration body, what was called the Eritrean-Ethiopian Boundary Commission, it comes out of the Algiers Agreement, uh, decides that this key territory, Badame, that had been the trigger of the war, actually rests within Eritrea. Right? And this was something that the Ethiopian government at the time, for a lot of different reasons, was not willing to accept. Um, and so that, that has really stalled the process uh, since that time. I mean, basically, there's, there was a lack of trust between the governments. I mean, the Ethiopian, the Ethiopian government later said they accepted the decision in principle, then they dropped it in principle. But there was a lot of hemming and hawing about actually implementing the, implementing the border decision. So, and, and, and this mattered, of course, because in the late stages of the war, Ethiopia had occupied much of the disputed territory, right? Um, or was di- what was disputed territory at the time. So, so that's, that's sort of the crux of the matter. And so the Eritrean side has framed this um, since that time as basically a question of Ethiopian occupation, right, of Eritrean sovereign territories. That's the argument they've made. Mm-hmm. So that's, and they, that's they sort of, they sort of have a point there, you know, to, to the extent that Ethiopia was the one not accepting the, the Boundary Commission's uh, decision. Absolutely. No, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, it's, as a question of international law, I think Ethiopia uh, had violated their treaty commitments. I don't think there's any question about that, right? So, so here's my question. So you've had this stalemate for, you know, nearly 20 years. Why now is, is there this breakthrough? And why now are we seeing sort of Ethiopia sort of willing to sort of engage positively here and, and potentially, uh, you know, adhere to its treaty commitments and adhere to the Boundary Commission's finding? I think there, it's, this is really, I would say, a confluence of factors. I don't think we know the whole story yet, but I think there's, there, there's a range of things going on. I think the most obvious thing is that <laughs> you, we've had, as you probably know, we've had uh, essentially a change of government in Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, the TPLF, the movement that had been you know, at the apex of state power in Ethiopia uh, for decades, has basically, it's part of a broader coalition called the EPRDF. Um, and in the last few months, it has been its influence within the coalition and at the national level has been national level has been diminished. I mean, there's still a regional player. Ethiopia is a federal system. They still control Tigray regional state. But the national level, I think their influence has been diminished. Uh, and so you have a new prime minister in Ethiopia, the old one resigned in February, uh, February of this year, which, which is significant itself, right? He was the first Ethiopian prime minister to step down in office The the, the previous, uh, prime minister, Melis yeah. Zanawi was like the longtime, you know, uh, ruler who, exactly. who died in office of cancer. Or something yeah. And like he that. was, yeah. of course, I mean, he, Melis himself was intimately involved in the whole, in of relations course. with Eritrea mm-hmm. and the border war politically, he was very invested in, in all of, on all of those issues. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in any case, yeah, I mean, he dies, I think, in 2012. You've got a new prime minister. 
um, that didn't have a lot of power. He didn't come from the TPLF, but there were, you know, the TPLF as a party held a lot of sway at the national level um, and still controlled uh, a lot of Ethiopian national security and foreign policy. Um, but but the TPLF has obviously diminished. In part, you have to understand the backstory here. I mean, there are sort of mass protests going on in Ethiopia, really dating back to 2015, have caused a lot of instability in the country. And so the you know the resignation of the prime minister was really the culmination of this long process of internal instability, right? Um, and it paved the way, I think, for a new generation of reformist elites within the ruling coalition to come to power. So now we have a new prime minister, Ethiopia has a new prime minister called Abiy Ahmed. Um, and he has, uh, I think, as, 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 he's, as it's been shown over the course of the last few months, has, has, has sort of shown himself to be a real reformer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like um, you, you have well, some, some political prisoners seem to have been, been let out of, of jail. A lot of, a, a lot yeah. of political prisoners. There's um, uh, just a, an opening up of the society, it, it seems, and Absolutely. a more broader a real, liberalization. A broad, yeah, a real broadening of political space. And, and he's a, I think it's fair to say that, that he's attracted a lot of support um, mm-hmm. from the Ethiopian public. I mean, there was a there was a mass rally in Addis Ababa and a few other uh, Ethiopian cities a few days ago, uh, and it, it, the, the rally attracted, I mean, millions of people, right? And this was a rally in support of the prime minister and his reformist moves. So it's so, it's almost like so, Ethiopia so that, is at this process of like democratic renewal. I mean, I don't know if we can go that far, but it's it's it, things are seeming very hopeful right now in, in Ethiopia. Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I would call it up. renewal, but yeah. it's it's definitely a democratic breakthrough, right? Um, uh, because Ethiopia has not really had a real democratic politics uh, in, in its in its in its in its history. Um, I think that's a bold claim, but mm-hmm. um, so, but but this is this is a real historic moment. I think if the prime minister is actually fully able to democratize Ethiopia's political system, so that's that's the context in in Ethiopia, right? And so the prime minister, I think, was willing to take a new look uh, at the border issue and at relations with Eritrea. Um, it is the case that within ruling circles, there was some discussion about, look, is there some initiative we can make on Eritrea to unlock the dispute? I mean, this was happening even before the prime minister came to power, but there's no doubt that, you know, um, a fresh, a new leader at the helm really helped to sort of unlock the, this, this dispute and push things forward. So so, the, so the, the, the story, internal story in Ethiopia, I think, is really critical. Um, you know, but there are other other aspects here as well, right? Uh, there is a a kind of geopolitical story as, uh, that, that's involved um, that I think one needs to consider. Well, what's what's the geopolitical story then? Yeah, so the geopolitical story is um, so a couple of things. I mean, one reason that the, that the stalemate I think has uh, uh, has persisted for so long, and that Ethiopia has been able uh, to uh, you know, to basically shirk its obligations under the Algiers Agreement is that the United States, multiple administrations, both the Bush administration and the Obama administration, uh, have, you know, have not been willing to hold Ethiopia to account. I mean, the United States, along with the EU, the Organization of African Unity, um, and the Algerian government were witnesses of the, of the Algiers Agreement. Uh, but, uh, but the United States has basically this might seem uncharitable, but if, when you look at the evidence, it's true. It's basically aided and abetted Ethiopia's noncompliance with, with the EEBC decision, right? So, so what has happened, though, is that you've got a new administration um, in Washington um, 
that, uh, that is willing to take a fresh look at this for a couple of different reasons. One, I think, you know, you've got a few people in, I mean, uh, you know, it's not necessary to, to, to name names, but I think in the previous administration, you had a number of, of key figures within the Obama foreign policy team that, uh, you know, that were, you know, that were sort of heavily, I guess would say, were very supportive of the previous Ethiopian government, right? You can um, name names, were, it's okay. You're yeah, so, uh, yeah. well, we're, we're, we're basically talking about Susan Rice and a yeah. few other people. Who, who, is, who, who in uh, the time of the, um, was, was a top State Department official dealing with Africa in the Clinton administration. Yes, Yes, precisely. Right. Um, I mean, I, I don't I don't think you can look I don't think you can reduce it. to Stephen Rice. I think there were broader American geopolitical imperatives uh, in play. I mean, there were many other reasons why they didn't press Ethiopian. It's a solid ally of the United um, States on on many issues. Exactly. Counterterrorism. There were things going on in Somalia. You know, the rise of the ICU and militant Islamism in Somalia in the mid 2000s. Ethiopia was a key partner. So you can't reduce it to Susan Rice, but 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 that was that was a that was a factor, right? So so now you've got a whole different dynamic in the new administration in terms of people making foreign policy decisions generally, but in Africa in particular. The other issue is, um, and this actually gets to the more this gets more to the question of geopolitics, is that the Trump administration is, and you see this in the new national its new national security strategy, the one I think announced last year, is that there's a shift from sort of a focus on counterterrorism to great power competition. And the Red Sea region, the Red Sea Basin, is has become a real site of geopolitical competition. And the United States is not particularly happy at the fact that uh, Djibouti has basically opened up, uh, op- basically allowed China to establish a, a military facility in Djibouti. Um, so, so the United States, I think, was looking uh, to basically open up Eritrea to reengage and normalize with Eritrea. Um, as a way, I mean, I don't know where this all leads, um, hmm. but as a way to kind of, you know, secure its interests in the country um, and not, you know, and, and basically uh, kind of balance against, you know, emerging great power competition in the Red Sea Basin. I mean, there are reports that the Chinese are trying to establish a facility in the Red Sea. You've got all of these different Arab countries, some of them American allies, Arab states, setting up uh, military facilities in the Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden. So that's, I think that's, that's a big, that was a big factor. Now, in order to do that, of course, um, you had to reconcile Eritrea with a core American ally in the Horn, Ethiopia. So I think that's, that's part of what was, what was going on. So, right? so let me, um, yeah. Well, let, yeah, let me ask you, so, so the, what are the implications of the fact that right now Ethiopia seems to be in a process of reform, perhaps liberalization, whereas Eritrea remains one of the most abusive and closed countries in the world? I mean, it's often referred to shorthand as like the North Korea of, of Africa. It is, you know, one of the most authoritarian countries in the entire world. So you have, you know, Eritrea as authoritarian as ever sort of trying to reconcile with a country that's in the process of, of liberalizing, which is, is Ethiopia. Sure. So, I mean, just for the record, I mean, I think the, the analogy of like Eritrea's North Korea is, is one I, I've never, I've never agreed with yeah. and, and would dispute, but, but I think, but I think it's true um, that Eritrea um, is very closed politically. Um, and, 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 uh, and I mean, it is an authoritarian political model. I don't think you can, you can dispute that. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, and, but I think one needs to note that uh, the argument has been um, amongst you know supporters of the government, the government itself, that this 
that this this issue with Ethiopia, this rivalry with Ethiopia, a much larger country, um, has really stunted any sort of real economic and political development in Eritrea, indeed any any broadening of political space. So so that's that's the argument that's been used. And what will be well because 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 Eritrea because like Afwerki uh, right Idris Afwerki you know he sort of uses the external threat of Ethiopia as a pretext to clamp down on rights and any sort of liberties within the country. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, it's been a key dimension of the government's rhetoric. Now, you know, whether you believe it sort of depends on your own politics, right? Do you, do you think it's, do you think this is a real rationale? Do you think it's justified? Or do you think this is just a pretext? I mean, air trains themselves are somewhat divided on that question. But it's absolutely the case, right, um, that the external question, the external issue has played into Eritrea's domestic politics and the lack of real political space in the country. Um, and some of the repression that you noted, one cannot dispute that. Now, the question is, um, you know, what actually happens now uh, internally in Eritrea? And I don't have a great answer to that uh, because there are, there are real expectations uh, in Eritrea of a peace dividend uh, that leads to economic transformation and, and a broadening of political space, right? Um, Eritrea has its national service program. Um, yeah. that's, Which know, is a pretext to enslave criticized. its country, it, it, its yeah. inhabitants, yeah. Yeah, so, One I mean, might, so that's what the, that's is, what the UN you know, human rights you know, officials right. Oh no, no, this has played reports, out at yeah. the UN. I mean, the the Eritrean yeah, yeah. government's been been heavily criticized for that. Again, but its argument has been, you know, we need to mobilize a population in order to defend against yeah. uh, this external threat. And again, I'm not I'm not taking a position on any of these issues. Uh, that's the argument they've made, and I think it's important to recognize that now that this issue is being taken off the table, right? This question of this external threat. Um, you know, there's going to be real expectations of transformation within Eritrea. And it's an open question, you know, whether the government will be willing to entertain a broader set of political and economic reforms. So I think they'll entertain economic reforms, but real political reforms that open up space. I mean, the hope among many is that the government will say, you know, um, you know, we've got this issue, you know, we've secured uh, our national interests, our sovereignty, the border issue is resolved. Relations with Ethiopia are stable. Now we can imp- embark on a process of political reform, uh, you know, uh, renewal, reconciliation. I mean, that's the hope, right? But uh, but critics of the government, I think, uh, are skeptical of that actually happening. I guess we'll have to see see what happens. But you're you're right that this is this this is probably a turning point, Eritrea. I mean, I think so? you know internal issues will have to be addressed at this juncture. So, so just to conclude, what um, indicators, what events, what what sort of things are you looking for in the near term that would suggest to you, one way or another, how this detente is is unfolding? Um, well, I mean, it's it's a good question. I mean, we don't have a lot of clarity about uh, about <laughs> sort of the nature of the deal that's being struck here. Um, I mean, obviously, I think there, there are two issues that probably are on the table um, that are necessary for sustainable peace. One, of course, is the implementation of the EEBC decision, you know, the the resolution of this border question. Um, And then, of course, we have to talk about a broader normalization of relations between the two countries. Um, And we're not just talking about, like, you know, uh, diplomatic normalization, but also, you know, the building of, of economic linkages or the rebuilding of economic linkages between the two countries, that will be the real peace dividend uh, to peoples on both sides of the border, right? So, so those are those are the two things that need to be discussed, and and it's hard to say um, 
what's going to happen with them. I mean, what, how, you know, for instance, you know, how, how quickly will the two governments come to some agreement or some consensus on economic normalization and expansion of economic ties? Maybe quickly. I mean, there was a report I saw earlier today that, you know, that Ethiopia, Ethiopian Airlines is going to, in September, start, I don't know if it's actually true, but in September, this was reports that start a uh, flights from, I think, from Addis to Asmar or Addis to Masao, I can't, I can't remember. Um, so maybe that's that's going to happen really quickly. It, it's unclear. Um, but but so those are those are the two things that I think are are really on the table. But again, we don't have any clear sense of the nature of the conversation right now. So so there you go. When 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 the uh, Ethiopian Airlines starts flying direct flights to the capital of Eritrea, Asmara, then then we'll know that things are are going in the right way. Yeah. No. No. I, yeah, I look. I, yeah. I think my own view, just to like put a fine point on it. I mean, I think. Political diplomatic rapprochement is here. I mean, I think that is we're there and it's it's happening. And and I I I sincerely doubt that we'll be backsliding. Uh, the question of economic normalization uh, is is will be interesting because I think that has some implications for Eritrea, uh, in particular domestically. Um, obviously, it has implications for Ethiopia as well, particularly in the the northern region of Tigray. But but Eritrea, you know, economic opening up to Ethiopia is also I mean, it's also a political question, right? So, so we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Uh, I'm certainly hopeful, but, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. And, of course, you know, we have to also say, you know, one thing I also want to point out that I didn't mention before is that the, the situation in Ethiopia is also fluid, right? I mean, there is, you know, you, you probably saw in the press, you know, at this rally a few days ago, uh, there was a, a grenade attack. Um, so there is, I mean, there's some real tension within the ruling coalition. I mean, we don't know. Uh, who perpetrated that attack, so I'm not going to speculate, but there's real tension uh, within the ruling coalition. There's violence of an ethnic nature uh, in, in some of the Ethiopian periphery. So it, it is also, the, the situation in Ethiopia is, a, is also a bit dynamic and somewhat unstable. Um, so, you know, I think that, that, that could also, you know, that could also impact uh, relations between, you know, this, this diplomatic rapprochement. Um, you know, for instance, you know, the, as I mentioned before, I mean, the, you know, the, the TPLF, so this, you know, the, the center of gravity in the ruling coalition until recently, uh, has, you know, there, there's a bit of, there's some issues, I think, within the TPLF and within Tigray more generally about this peace process. And I, I think some people are in, in, in the TPLF and within, uh, Tigray more generally are, or many people are quite receptive of the peace process, but I think there's also some resistance there. So, so anyway, there are big questions in Ethiopia as well going forward that might impact the process. But, oh, but I think I'm yeah. I'm pretty positive uh, go, going forward. Uh, All right. Well, 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 well. That's a good note to end it on. Thank you so much for your time, Michael. This was very helpful. No, absolutely no problem. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Michael. That was very helpful in clarifying and provide some really good context to understand why peace is breaking out between Ethiopia and Eritrea. I love when I get to headline episodes with that title. All right. We'll see you next time.